Hello, it is Wednesday, August 19th. I am Trent Reinsmith, and this is another edition of the Daily Come On Now MMA podcast. First thing tonight is going to be looking at some comments that Dana White made after last night's uh, Dana White Contender Series fights. Yeah, no, I'm excited. Uh, obviously, good fights. Uh, you know, Blades look good. Uh, and actually, no, was his last fight the one where he was fucking exhausted? And yeah, I didn't love that fight. That's right. Yeah, he was talking all kinds of shit that week, and then that fight. I forgot about that. Derek Lewis just looked good. So, hopefully, Blades gets in shape for this one, and uh, and uh, should be a good fight. To to put it mildly, this is some revisionist history. If you don't, if you recall, that fight was a main event fight. Curtis Blades fought Alexander Volkov. Before the fight, he said that he was going to ragdoll Volkov, and by his style, by Blades' style, ragdolling meant he was going to take him down and hold him down, and if he couldn't hold him down, take him down again and again and again. And if you recall, during that fight. Blades had 14 takedowns on 25 attempts. So that's a takedown attempt every minute of the five-round fight. He also landed 69% of his significant strikes and went 116 for 163 on his total strikes and had three guard passes. So White had it out for Blades since that since he won that fight and he's been shitting on Blades since that fight and I think it's because of Blades' style because he's a wrestling heavy style and he, he just takes people down and, and they can't get up and if they can get up he just takes them down again and again and I think that's why White has it in for Blades and I don't think Blades cares which is another reason White has it in for Blades so to to attack him and act like he didn't have a good fight. I don't understand that. Um, he's won his last four fights in a row. And just because you don't like his style. Doesn't mean you can just shit on him and act like he didn't have a good fight. Or that he didn't win. Or that he didn't do exactly what he said he was going to do. He said he was going to ragdoll him. He ragdolled him. White may not like that. But... That's the facts. These next two clips are related. And they are related to the signing of 12 fighters in the three episodes of the Dana White Contender Series. And then there will be a clip about roster purges. And I want to talk about these at the same time. So I'm going to run the clips back to back. They're edited. So it's two different parts of the interview. Just be aware of that. Be a little space between them. Just so you know that they are from. They just don't run together. So here are the clips. Dana right here. Jim Greasehopper cage side seat. That's 12 in, in uh, three episodes so far. That's, that's a busy season. That's a lot of new fighters. Yeah, yeah. I, I like it though. I mean, when, when, I mean, that's what the show is about. The show is about giving opportunities and um, and uh, I'm excited to see how, how these kids can do in the UFC. 
Yeah, and you talked about in this era when they say, hey, and they're coming right up to you now. I'll fight next week, the week after, the week I after that. And that's all that... With I love that. It's, it's brilliant. I mean, if you, if you can really do it, when you think about some of the fighters back in the day, and I'm talking boxing, some of these guys used to fight every weekend. You know what I mean? Some would fight two or three times a month. Um, that's how people remembered you. You know, that's how people know who you are. I mean, we, we talked about this several times, I think, but Shemayoff... The guy had 30,000 followers. He has 450,000 followers now. He fought twice in a week or 10 days, something like that. So kind of touching on what he said, a lot of these contracts are just kind of coming and kind of coming. We're seeing people uh, being released of contracts as well. It, but this isn't a, hey, I'm going to take five this week. We need to get rid of five fighters. This is kind of the, the ones that are coming are, are sort of new batch of fighters. They're not really counting against the active roster or do you take yeah no it's oh yeah it's all a numbers game i mean we have to give everybody three fights a year so you can only have so many people under contract um yeah so as as fighters are coming you know like you said you know we're getting now eight nine fighters so should fighters worry as as these numbers keep growing that numbers are going to start being thinned out as well this is the fourth season we've done four seasons of this show this i mean this is how it works been like this for 20 years um every once in a while you'll see a huge cut we'll, we'll go through and you know there'll be 14 15 guys cut in a week you know stuff like that it's just that's the nature of the beast okay so if you've been paying attention You've been seeing a lot of new names on these UFC fight cards from Fight Island and from the Apex. And that leads me to believe that the UFC is hurting for fighters that are willing to complete, compete during the pandemic. Now, whether that's because they don't want to compete from a health perspective or they don't want to compete because they're not getting good training in and they're being asked to compete on shorter notice than they like you're not seeing a lot of high priced veterans fighting in these cards you're just not and now the UFC has just signed as you heard as you heard uh, 12 fighters in 3 episodes of the Dana White Contender Series and then you've heard White say that it's a numbers game and that you have to offer these guys three fights. Now, I don't know what the story is if fighters are opting out of fighting because of the pandemic. I don't know the, the legal situation there, a contractual situation. But I do know that by White praising these contender series guys, by praising their willingness to fight on short notice, uh, back to back to back or whatever. The message here is accept the fight or you might be released. At least that's the message I'm getting. So what I'm hearing is if you're making a lot of money or even a fair amount of money and you're coming off a couple losses, that you should start thinking about taking a fight or you could be replaced by someone who is going to make $12,000 in their first fight. And if these contracts are anything like the 
uh, Ultimate Fighter contracts for these new guys on the Contender Series, they are lengthy contracts and they are terrible contracts. And so they are going to be stuck in uh, low-paying deals for a while. So don't be surprised if a roster purge happens very soon. And don't be surprised if you see some familiar names on that on that uh, on that list, because that's not a surprise. Um, if the UFC can stage fights and events with unrecognizable names and still get ratings, and what we have seen is, as long as there's a good fight on top of the card, they will get those ratings. That's what we've been seeing. Um, especially recently. Top-heavy cards, but they still get the ratings, then that's what the UFC is going to do. And if they can keep the the pay, fighter pay in those fights ridiculously low, that's what they're going to do. And that'll be the way they make a bigger profit and share less revenue. It's not hard to figure out. That's just the way the UFC operates. They are designed to deliver 80% of the revenue to the UFC and its ownership group. And they will they will do anything to maintain that. And they're gonna sign cheaper fighters and release higher price fighters. Not gonna be a surprise when this happens. And I think it's going to happen. And the longer they go without crowds the more it's going to happen. I had a couple clips from John McCarthy when he appeared on Luke Thomas's radio show, and this is another one. And I just wanted to make sure that this one got mentioned and I spoke about it because uh, I think it's got some pros and cons. Uh, but it's uh, Luke Thomas asked John McCarthy if he was in charge of all of MMA for one day and he could make one change, what would that change be? And here is McCarthy's answer and his explanation. Oh, man, I'll tell you what. There, there's there's several changes, but the one I'm going to make right away is the one that I think will help the sport the most. It will help the people that are uh, officiating the sport, and that is I would change the actual scoring system of the fights themselves. Right now, I think we have a, a system, and Herb Dean said this best because I was talking with him about it, and he's the one that came up with this you know, uh, acronym towards it basically was, he goes, can you imagine trying to be a carpenter and make a piece of furniture when your tape measure only has one-inch marks? There's no 16th, eighths, quarters, or halves. And so you've got to make a quality piece of furniture just with those one-inch marks. Well, that's what we're doing to our judges when it comes to judging a fight, when I have to give a 10-9, 10-9, or 10-8, and I have a very, very close round, and I give that 10-9, but then the next round isn't close. But it, and so I have one fighter who's actually winning the fight, but my fight looks like it's even on the cards. We need to do something that's going to change what our judges can do to differentiate who's winning the fight and why. I, in theory... I don't disagree with this. And let me tell you why. I sat in a meeting recently with, with one of the commissions, and it was a meeting that was f full of judges and referees, 
and a handful of media guys. And we all watched the fights, a couple fights, and we all scored them. And then we spoke about the scoring. And one of the fights in particular, I mean, we went by the rules as they are written. And I think the round was, the majority of us scored at a 10-9 round. Some people scored at a 10-8. But when we discussed it, more people agreed that it was going to be a 10-9. But the problem with the round was, the description was, we all thought it was a wide 10-9. So, there was a lot of things that almost made it a 10-8. But not enough by the criteria to make it a 10-8. And I forget now what the fight was, but I know I remember the discussion. And we heard a lot of folks saying, wide 10-9. And then we justified the wide 10-9 and why it was a 10-9 and not a 10-8. And the criteria on a 10-9 and a 10-8, I think, more so the 10-9, leaves a lot of wiggle room where you can have that huge, huge gap of a, of a wide 10-9. 10-7, not so much. 10-8, a little but not nearly as much as the 10-9. And do I... So if I would have had a, a half or a quarter, I probably would have scored that differently. I definitely would have scored it differently because it you know it would have been a 10-8.5 or 10-8.75, but it wouldn't have been a 10-9. So there's that room. And it what makes that difficult is that we have so much so many problems right now with the scoring as it is. If we add that, I think that makes things more difficult and people who maybe don't understand the scoring or think they understand it but but don't really understand it will have problems with, with these scores more than they do now and I'm not talking about the judges I'm talking about folks who complain about the judges a lot and I, I complain sometimes and I think sometimes it's justified I also think sometimes it's not justified but what I would say is if this is going to be the solution and maybe it maybe it's the right solution I don't know the analogy of the ruler is is pretty good though I would I would say but um, then accountability also has to be increased. And in the meeting that I was in, that was the, that was the, um, what the, what it was about. It was about accountability. And some of the judges who had scored some fights that there were questions were asked to defend their scores. And they did to the best of their abilities. And Perhaps they they made people believe that what they saw was why they scored it that way. And there was no animosity there, but it was just kind of make help us understand. 
And so maybe, maybe that's the solution. Maybe the solution is uh, more detailed scoring, more detailed criteria on scoring, and more accountability. I don't know. We all, what we do know is that the scoring system is broken and it needs to be fixed. And if that fix is taking big chances and doing so on lower level um, events just to work the bugs out, then that's what you do because that's what um, other sports do. That's what MLB does. If they have a change, they institute it in the minors. Maybe that's the solution. Maybe this is, it needs to be worked on in the, in the lower level fights by the judges that are also going to score the UFC and Bellator fights and title fights and and then accountability follows. I don't know. But yeah, um, something has to change. And if McCarthy says this, then I think he believes that it can work. Because I don't think he's gonna I don't think he's one that's gonna throw out an idea that's that he thinks will fail. Especially if his name's tied to it. So maybe it's worth looking at. I don't know. It can't hurt. But but institute it on the lower levels and see if it works. And if it doesn't, then it doesn't. If it does, then move it up a couple levels until you work work the things out and then you can get it into the UFC and the UFC title fights. This next clip is from John McCarthy and Josh Thompson's Weighing In podcast. They spoke to Corey Anderson about some of the reasons why he decided to leave the UFC and go to Bellator and it was an insightful conversation and what struck me was Anderson's change of opinion from from when he was working his way up through the UFC ranks until today and I think this is something that other fighters should really listen to because I think it's the right decision to make. They were influenced. Like I said, talk to Eddie last year with Johnny Walker. We sat down, we talked on the phone. Eddie, I talked to Eddie all the time after training his mind financially and business wise. He's been around the game forever. I think our first serious conversations when he was doing tough was in the casino, like two o'clock in the morning. We was playing uh blackjack. He just started schooling me on all his financial stuff. And I was like, yep. I've been here for like five years and I've never heard any of this. And after that, when he came back to Jersey, I would always ask him questions. And he always kicks it straight to me. So when this this whole thing came up, one thing that came to my mind is what he had told me last year. So I called him and like, make sure running by him and make sure he's doing the right thing. He was like, bro, this is exactly what you need to be doing. Test the free agency. See how that goes, blah, blah, blah. And another thing, DC, like I said, I was out there with him and I kept talking to him about the situation. And I was like, look, I want to get that belt. I want that UFC belt so bad. And he was, that's the thing. So many people get tied into that epiphany of the UFC belt. You got to think, a belt is a belt, man. Yeah. But you got a family now. He said, like, I understand. You're good. You can be the champ. There's no doubt about it. You can be the champ. But you got to think about your family. Is that belt, getting that belt going to help your family? 
oh, it's making more money, gotta help your family. Like, don't say you don't fight for the money because when's the last time you were in a street fight? Like, you know why you walk away from street fights now? Because you don't fight for free. Remember that. Yeah. And when he said that, I was like, oh, shit, he's right. So if I can go take the same risk to make more money, why would I not go over there and make the bigger dollar with the same risk? I can get the same outcome, but now I feel like it's worth fighting for. And now it was like when I talked to my wife, she also had that dream to go get the UFC belt. And she didn't want to let it go as well, but we broke it down into the numbers. It's like, all right, you're right. This makes sense to our family, so let's do it. If you recall, Anderson was one of those guys not too long ago who would say that he would fight for free, but no more. And Daniel Cormier said, you know, do you get in street fights anymore? And he said, and Anderson said, no. And Cormier said, that's because you don't fight for free. You get paid to fight. So get paid what you're worth. So I think a lot of people are enticed by this, the UFC belt. And I think that's the wrong way to look at fighting. And that's how fighters get taken advantage of. And that's how fighters end up on the short end of the stick in the pay conversation. Because they think this belt, which the UFC has said is meaningless, I think the quote was something along the lines of, it's the best fighter of that night or something during during the antitrust suits. Something like that. They just basically said that the belt is a, a trophy. It has no real meaning. So if it has no m- real meaning, why does so many people seem so interested in it? It, it carries no value in the real world. And I think once people stop looking at that and seeing, you know, you can make more money in a different promotion. Anderson left the UFC, signed with Bellator, and he's going to make more money. Eddie Alvarez always went where the money was better. And now he's fighting in one championship because the money's better. He moved to the UFC because the money was better. If he becomes champion in, in, in any of those organizations, that's gravy. That's extra. But that, that doesn't take away from the main focus, which is being a prize fighter. And the prize is money can't do anything with the UFC title doesn't get you anything these days it doesn't even get you extra sponsorships really so you get a couple hundred thousand more dollars maybe as long as you hold the title but then the expectations on you are greater too so you work harder as a champion why not make more money in another promotion and if you win the title you win the title if you don't you're still going to get paid that extra money that's not how the UFC works so they dangle that title in front of you not many people win those titles and every fighter thinks he's, he or she is going to win the title but very few, few do and so what, when you don't what are you left with you're left with smaller paychecks 
and you know a broken dream well if your dream is going to be broken at least get the pay and I think that's what Corey Anderson has realized from talking to fighters like Eddie Alvarez and Daniel Cormier the goal isn't to fight for little or no money and win a UFC title the goal is to fight for as much money as you can get and if you win a title, that's great. I think more fighters need to realize that. And more fighters need to focus on that fact and stop being enamored of the UFC title. Because if the promotion tells you it's meaningless in court, how are they going to convince you that it has a meaning? It, it, can't, be, it, can't, it can't be both. And so... Get what you know. Get what you know is worth something. And that's the cash. And I'm glad that Anderson realized that. And it's it's good that he spoke to Alvarez and Cormier and they and they kind of set him straight. And you know, maybe Eddie Alvarez uh, when he retires is is that voice of reason telling you, hey, don't don't believe these these lies. And don't believe that the title is going to get you something special. Get the money. Whoever's offering the best deal, look at that deal and see if it's real. Have, have your lawyer look at it and, and compare. Go where the money is. It's very simple. I want to address that Dana White again. Um, he said... Once again, he called me a scumbag, but this time he named me at least um, on Twitter. And what he said again, it was untrue then and it's untrue now. I never gloated that people were going to lose their jobs. I did say that he should check with his bosses because the UFC has an ownership group and those that ownership group are his bosses. But yeah, I never gloated that anyone was going to lose their job. That's stupid. I never stood there with a, uh, a tombstone gloating that I put other businesses out of business. He did that. I never gloated that people are going to lose their jobs. I wouldn't do that. I've lost jobs. I know what that feels like. It sucks. I've lost jobs since the, uh, the pandemic, and it sucks. So that didn't happen. It's a lie. It will always be a lie. And I just wanted to make that clear again because it's... If he, it doesn't matter if he calls me a scumbag because that's just not true. But at least call me a scumbag for something that's real. And that what he's saying happened didn't happen. So I just wanted to mention that because it's a thing, again, from the guy who doesn't care what the media says. And on that note, I'm going to close it out. I'll be back tomorrow. Until then, stay safe.